Hello, this is Jen's turn for an introduction. <laughs> Jen does these very well. Welcome to We Happen to be Trans, a modding universe podcast that you can collect yourself. Ooh. Collect all 12. Wow. I like that. The, the Vic- I heard the Victoria one is the rarest. The Victoria universe? That's my... Yeah, I heard <laughs> that too. There was, a, there was actually a, a misprint uh, in the run where, where she's naked. Oh, and, oh uh, wow. That's the rarest. That's the rarest one. Ooh. Yeah, it's going for over like a mil on eBay Stand easily. Yeah. Nice. Mm-hmm. Nice. I got, I got one. I, I can look at it anytime. So mm-hmm. can mod the universe? Yeah. Does that mean... I guess that explains the existence of anime titties. It does. Because that's what mods are for, right? That's part of it. I mean, right? that's mo- that's yeah. mod modding. Like 90% of modding. <laughs> that's, yeah. Oh, that takes me back to, to my teenage days when I put in the, the Nude Raider mod in oh, uh, Tomb Raider oh. 2. <laughs> my friend and I did that, and uh, we got caught by, by his parents and uh, a, little, a little talking to. Just a little bit of trouble, a little talking to. Yeah, it wasn't too bad. I mean, we were teenagers. Like, give us a break. Right? Yeah. We just want to see. We just want to see Lara Croft shoot a T Rex without wearing any clothes. Right? <laughs> the T Rex was wearing clothes, but she wasn't. We don't give. A, we didn't give a fuck what the T Rex was wearing. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the T the Rex in a bikini. It's just whatever. I was. I mean, he could have been in a Hawaiian shirt and khakis for all I care. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, Victoria, you say you have a wonderful icebreaker for us. What may this be? Please enlighten us. Oh, should we introduce ourselves? Oh, we should, oh, yeah. Yes, I suppose yeah, we yeah. can start with some introductions. I, I feel like we always start with Jen. Do we want to start with Victoria this time? Or maybe you. What? Yes. Myself? Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. The, ho- the host never goes first, but okay, I'll break the rule. You're just a co-host. You aren't the host. Oh, oh, I've been demoted to the co-host? Oh, I always thought Kaylee was the host. No, no, Victoria and I were promoted. Oh, shit. Wow. It's getting crowded up here at the top. Yeah. That's why we built those nice extension seats, so we can float out over the little people below. You know, I've been told by by my tapeworm that I make an excellent host. <laughs> that was that was my icebreaker. No, no, it wasn't. I almost did a spit take there. <laughs> this is such a bad take. joke. Okay, go ahead, Kaylee. Introduce yourself. Um, but yes, I am a Kaylee Cake, uh, Kaylee Dot Cake on the Instagrams. I'm just talking about cool trans things on Instagram. And talking about pop culture things here, loving the like philosophy and sociology kind of side of things, um, as well as like interesting games that have a good story and narrative and stuff. And yeah, that's me. How about Victoria? Shall you go next? Ooh, yes. the The stage is set. I am Victoria, and I go by Vic- at Victoria underscore Maximus on Instagram. I got it right that time. Also, I don't know much about history or sociology i don't know much about biology damn it sam i don't need to hear you singing that at me again sam <laughs> sam cook that's who sang the song oh well i i'm i'm not i don't know much about cooking either or sam cook but i know that song because it plays in my grocery store ah and well i mean i heard it i heard it when i was a kid but you know it's not like it's my favorite or anything it just came into my head all right and i am Jen Giggles at gratefully underscore Jen on Instagram. All right. Yes. Victoria. Yes. Start us off. Here's a tale of woe 
that just uh, happened to me. Okay, I'm going to stop using that voice. Okay, here's a tale of woe <laughs> that happened to me when I went to go use the restroom right before we started recording. Okay, I bet you're intrigued about where this is going. So, I was wearing my glasses, which I was trying to do so I could Uh-oh. see my computer screen really far away. And my lens, my left lens has kind of been falling out from time to time. Uh-oh. So, yeah, uh, it was in, and then it was out. And where did it land, some may ask? Right where mm-hmm. you least want it to, in the toilet. Oh. So now the left, the left lens of my, of my glasses are in my toilet. I didn't reach in my hand. I'm going to wait a little bit to get a tool or something to, to get them out. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll just stick my hand in. I don't know. So my icebreaker mm. question is, first of all, how should I retrieve the lens? Second of all, <laughs> is, there, is there a process in which this thing could be reasonably disinfected to be worn again? And, w- and would you? How, how would I go so, about that? Okay. And would you wear okay. it? We're, we're suddenly in advice column. Um, I kind of like this, but mm-hmm. also I don't trust our own advice. <laughs> this is, okay, nobody take this actual advice. It's an entertainment podcast. Mm-hmm. If you're listening to this podcast for advice, you are screwed. So yeah. probably don't do, that's the disclaimer. <laughs> no, I'm not saying we can't give good advice, just don't get advice from the podcast. <laughs> sure, you're free to take it, but we're not recommending that you take it. No. no. Yeah. Disclaimer, we are not Medical professionals do not listen to our advice. We're not even plumbers. <laughs> <laughs> so I think first thing, you should be able to disinfect it to, to a point where it's wearable. Um, just like get some rubbing alcohol or whatnot from the, from the, the drugstore and just soak it in that for a bit um, and rinse it off after. And that should be... Like more than five, even like dish soap, the antibacterial dish soap should should do the trick. The retrieving it part is the tough part. Can you even see it? Because it's very clear, right? I can see it. It's chilling. Okay, it's chilling. <laughs> Did you tell Bailey not to get it out? Because if she flushes, you're in trouble. She's not here, so I'll get it out before she gets home. She's at work. All right. These are the things that happen when she leaves me. I I'm a hand person. I, I would just go go with the hand and then get some soap after and just it's gonna suck but you can wash a hand and just be fine. Glasses lens, sure, no problem. You got a bottle of vodka at home. Make sure it's eighty to at least eighty proof. Um, <laughs> scoop in with your hand. Get it. Soak it in the vodka. Forget the rubbing alcohol that isn't concentrated enough. And then chug the rest of the vodka. <laughs> and then chug the rest of the vodka. Forget oh. the pain. My my. Yeah. My tapeworm told me that it needs a mate, so sure. Yeah. No, I'm being serious. Though. You, you, if, if you're going to disinfect it, you need something that's at least 80 proof, which is 40% alcohol. Um, so you want something at least that alcoholic to kill anything that might have be on the lens. Mm-hmm. As far as your hand goes, sure, stick it in there, pour some more vodka over it, scrub it with some soap. You're good to go. <laughs> Just soaking your hand in vodka for a while. You don't even have to soak it. I mean, literally, they used to spit yeah. distilled liquor on people's wounds to purify them. It doesn't take a soaking. That so painful. It was. I've, I've done it. <laughs> My own cuts. Not the smartest thing. Oh, but all man. I had, to per- all I had, there was no water nearby to rinse with. 
and all I had was uh, mm. somebody pulled out a flask. Well, I've got I've got some fifty percent rubbing alcohol. Then you're fine. That should be good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll just I'll just yeah. splash that on. Mm. I'll do some soap. I'll probably do it a couple times because I'm paranoid oh. about the germs. Let your lens soak mm. in the alcohol for 15, 20 minutes. I mean, you'll probably be better off. Sure. That way. Okay. All right. Well, there we go. Thank you. My you problems, go, my problems have been solved from this wonderful advice wow. podcast that apparently we started. Yeah. Victoria was hospitalized later that week <laughs> from the bad advice. All right. Would anyone like to go first? Well, you you brought up the modding, so let's have you do the mods. Oh, oh gosh. Um. So lately, I've been playing Darkest Dungeon. Yeah. Uh, which is a lot of fun, and there's actually a really active, at, at least, I'm not sure if it's active now, but um, there's a pretty strong modding community for it with some really awesome mods in that. Um, and it just got me thinking, because also one of my other favorite games, Divinity Original Sin 2, has a fantastic modding community, and it's so cool to have, like, a game created and then for people to be able to build their own classes out of nothing and bring in their own characters and stuff and i think it's like a really underutilized way to keep games uh like relevant uh because for like skyrim being the prime example uh because of the modding community skyrim has been alive way longer than it should have has any right to be yeah. like yeah. vanilla skyrim would not have made it this far if it weren't for the modding community that has kept it alive and like has built whole new games out of the out of just modding it and it's really cool. I think a lot of a lot more um, game companies should kind of take note of that and try to push for um, kind of support supporting mods and perhaps even incentivizing mod making. Um, a lot of like Bethesda has kind of gone with the paid mods route, and I think that's like not really what the community is about. Um, I think, but I think they should be promoting it anyways because like them having people modding their game even if people aren't paying directly for the mods still expands the lifetime of their game it does. expands the notoriety of the company and sells more games over a longer period of time and so game companies should start uh, start really pushing for mods and that and using that as a tool to expand the games uh any thoughts any mods that like or games that you like to mod, or mods in particular that uh, you're a big fan of? I've actually got um, a decent amount to say on this topic. Um, see, I haven't <laughs> delved deep myself into the Skyrim mods, but I I have definitely um, played them, seen them, you know, tried them out. I'm, I'm very aware of, of a lot of what's out there as far as, you know, mods that, that modify the story. I mean, people have gone back and even modded the graphical quality and, and story potentials of Morrowind and Oblivion oh, and yeah. mm-hmm. uh, given given breadth to those games. Um, and it's really amazing um, when you can go back and play a game like that with better textures, better resolution, mm-hmm. better frame rate mm-hmm. oh, yeah. than yeah. was at the time um, on a current machine and also play new fresh storylines that, that fans have created. But then you also have the really mm-hmm. fun ones like the 
the Macho Man Randy Savage dragons. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Looked don't... at Liz with lust in his eyes. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> I love the diversity of that. But then you have games like like Just Cause 2, which the fans actually made their own multiplayer mod, and people wow. could experience that game on a different level. And then and then the developers actually introduced a multiplayer mechanic into Just Cause 3 so that the fans didn't have to just create another mod. Um, probably my personal favorite mod is just because it's one of my favorite games. And this will be a topic that I will talk about in the future more at length. But, um, but, uh, <laughs> is that you, Jen? I thought I muted it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> There's this. I hit the mute okay. button. It didn't apparently mute it. I must have hit the wrong one. That's, I'm leaving this in. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> so, one of my favorite games is uh, the Dark Souls series. Mm -hmm. uh, I played mm -hmm. I played Dark Souls one uh, on the PlayStation three, and then I bought it on PC, but found that there's a whole community that was out there that you know was able to unlock the frame rate to 60 frames a second able to increase textures fans had even come out with ways to decrease the luminosity of the like of the lighting and the lava because it was really too bright mm. and too weird looking mm -hmm. and so i put a bunch of of texture packs and and yeah. the uh, they called it the dark soul the ds fix unfortunately yeah. some of the 60 frame kind of in certain areas broke it where like you couldn't go down a ladder too fast otherwise you'd just clip through the ground and fall to your death mm. so there were just it, it wasn't too bad but there were definitely a couple of points where it was like okay like yeah. you know you got to be careful but it was worth it overall they've since remastered the game uh the the company has and and it's in 60 frames and everything but uh for that time being able to i couldn't go back and play the the PlayStation 3 version after playing modded version. Yeah. Um, yeah. It just got so smooth and so beautiful. And there's additionally, there's the modding community that mods um, and hacks old games. Yeah. You know, like oh, yeah. uh, mm -hmm. emulated games like the, you know, Kaizo Mario's oh. and. Or, or that Pokemon Fusion thing my kids keep playing around with. Yeah. So mm -hmm. there's just, oh, oh, there's such an untapped well. And mm -hmm. it's, it's honestly something that I would like to spend more time kind of unearthing some of the good mods. Um, there's just so many games that yeah. I still want to get to that <laughs> even just unmodded, like there's a whole reservoir of, of oh, stuff. But yes, anyway, so I want, I kind of want to hear, I want to hear us. It's, it's I, I, a hard spot to be because financially it, it, it's a little bit harder because um, if, if Nintendo catches you, you're crushed, which is again, as you were saying, Victoria, no, mm -hmm. let the modders be modders and don't force them away. Um, yeah, the the mods in Breath of the Wild. Now, the one I want to do is play through the whole thing as Linkle, the female version of Link that they mm -hmm. introduced. Um, she's she's an actual canon character. They introduced her in um, the Hyrule Warriors game. Like they completely redid the game so that you're playing around, you're running around as Linkle, or um, the entire time. So yeah, of course. Mm -mm. But if Nintendo catches you, you can never attach your account to another mm -hmm. Nintendo game, which sucks. Wow. I mean, it's mm -hmm. insane how much 
pain they put on people who want to try and have some fun, especially when it's something simple like that. I mean, that's not a that's not a simple mod. I'm you know don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say that. I'm saying it's simple to just to gender swap the character. It's not like it's where they turn all of the bad guys into like they look like balloon animals kind of stuff. I, I'm pretty sure that one wasn't in Zelda pictures. That was a different game. But yeah, you can fight balloon animals. It's weird, mm-hmm. and it's amazing. <laughs> the skill level's there. Yeah. Um, but there's games I play that... Yeah. Um, I've played the vanilla version um, that I never play unmodded, ever. I'm thinking of, mm-hmm. like, um, RimWorld. Mm, yeah, that's a good game. Yeah, I've never, I don't play it unmodded anymore. The, the vanilla's kind of boring after mm-hmm. you play some of those mods. It's like, oh yeah, we're mm. going to change the objective of the game completely from escaping this planet... To building a colony and ruling the planet. <laughs> Why would I want to escape this place? I have all these resources. <laughs> I have this challenge in front of me that's it could happen. Yeah. Why would I ever play right. it unmodded? Absolutely. I mm-hmm. get it from the from certain developers' perspective, uh, from a business sense. Um, but there is a breakdown for me. You know, when I think about let's just go back to the Breath of the Wild example that you gave. If Nintendo's thinking, okay, well, we created this character, Linkle, uh, we own the property of Zelda and Linkle, what if at some point we want to, you know, sell the ability to be able to, to play as that character in Breath of the Wild? And that's fair, right? And, and we, you know, a lot of us would, would purchase that character if it was purchasable. The problem is that a company like Nintendo is probably never going to do that. But, but it's that they want to reserve the right to be able to do that and kind mm-hmm. of try and protect their property oh, in yeah. a way yeah. um, and keep it under, under their control, which I get, like I said, from a business perspective, but it would be wonderful if they were, and Nintendo is notorious for, I mean, as much as I love them and they're, uh, you know, are so creative and their properties, they are very non-communicative with some of their stances on that stuff. And I wish that they would just come out and say, hey, we understand that this is out there, that people want this. We're going to look into it or we're going to work on it. We're, we're shutting down this, mo- this mod because we've got something in the works. Or, but they, like I said, are notoriously very silent and yeah. very private about their business yeah. practices. There's a lot of things. I, I was even just listening to a podcast this week that was discussing how there are a lot of things we allow Nintendo to get away with that we would not mm-hmm. let any other company get away with because they're Nintendo, mm-hmm. because yeah. we love them in a, in a lot of ways, but they have a lot of business practices and are just so behind the times with a lot of the, the ways that they, you know, implement a lot of their, a lot of things into their platforms and into their games that they're just so poor, but Mario and Zelda and Donkey Kong and you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, but that—that's yeah. potentially a top. Yeah, I think I think getting on the Nintendo, the Nintendo thing is is gonna totally derail. You know, we could, we should maybe save that topic for another day. Yeah, but um, I I think with like preventing mods like that, it does a lot of harm to the games actually, and or like prevents a lot of potential growth because like people who are able to mod it and play the game slightly adjusted to how they want, like makes people love the game so much more yeah. like just to be able to switch to Linkle and like have a character that maybe you relate to a bit more in the game makes such a big difference I mean, women... and i think 
like a lot of games could be saved or like especially like breath of the wild has such a good like sandbox kind of type of vibe yeah. that modding could like really grow there i think oh, yeah. a similar thing could have been possible with mass effect andromeda despite the game itself coming out really bad if they had allowed modders in to like adjust it i feel like that could have saved it because there's some great mechanics and like cool engine behind it yeah. all but just people didn't get what they want and if people had the tools, they would have made it, no doubt. Because there's a huge fan following. People will make what they want if you don't give it to yeah. them. Yeah, and, and people are then making your game for you. That's pretty darn great for any game company out there. Like, And yeah, you don't get money for the, that stuff that they made, but that's fair. You're getting money because now they're buying your game in order to play it, and other people are also buying that game uh, in order to play it, and I think it's it's a shame that companies are so, um, like, uptight about allowing mods and that. Oh, yeah. Um, that, that's the, the, the Steam community, the modding community on Steam is huge, mm -hmm. and, and most of the indie developers there are, are like, Oh, you know what? That was a really good mod. I'm going to pay that person for that mod, mm -hmm. and it just becomes part of the game. <laughs> yeah, and, like, the people have the energy and time to make that happen really easily, um, and suddenly that game becomes so, like, reaches so many more people and has such a bigger impact because of it. Yep. Um, Everyone wins. I, I agree. I think uh, one of the most notable uh, examples of not necessarily modding, but but working with with a license um, is the story of of the guy that ended up kind of developing and creating Sonic Mania that came out. Um, oh yeah, a couple a couple years ago, where he was pushing so hard and working so hard on his own to make uh, ports of Sonic CD and and the early Sonic games like Sonic Two, Sonic Three, and he was really pushing, you know, knocking on Sega's door to say, hey, let me work on this. Let me port this to the iPhone. Let me port this these games because these could be really great right. updated ports. And and it took time. At first, Sega was, was resistant, like, no, you can't do this with our property. Mm -hmm. But at some point, he kind of broke through the door and he did such good work that Sega hired him to work on Sonic Mania, and he ended up making the best and maybe only good 2D Sonic game since since Sonic CD, probably. Was, right, yeah. I heard so longtime Sonic kind of haters even turned around to say, hey, this is a really fun game, and this is, this is a really stellar game. And so I have heard that story in other places where modders have actually gotten hired by the company that they were modding modding mm -hmm. games for on their own because their work was so good. Yeah. And so, and, and sometimes, even though there is a risk, you know, you might get cease and desist letters and stuff like that. Uh, and we're certainly not recommending that, that people, you know, do anything that, that they don't feel comfortable doing or, you know, that go against the law or whatever. But that can end up being their portfolio for a, for a company. That could mm -hmm. be their means of getting recognized oh, in, yeah. a, in an odd way. And I actually kind of think that that's really cool. And I'm glad mm -hmm. to see that happen yeah. uh, because when good games are made, we all win. Like that's 
that's what we want. We want there to be amazing pieces of work that that we can get our hands on and play. And it, I guess preferably in some ways it might not be through mods or emulation or, right. or whatever legality, but then there are some times when emulation really makes sense. I mean, there are a lot of games that could never be resold because of licensing issues. When when the li- when licenses get tied oh. up so heavily with with many yeah. different properties, you know, sports games and games that have music tracks in them that need to be licensed individually. Oh, um, those are the worst. Right. Like, I, I want to go back and play NBA Jam. You know, like, right? how am I going to play that? I'm a huge fan of, of anybody kind of preserving games and game culture. And I think that modding is certainly a huge way that, that they're preserved. Like you mentioned at the start, Kaylee, a game like Skyrim, I mean, it is the most recent Elder Scrolls game still, but that game is still very popular in a way that it wouldn't be without oh, the modding yeah. community. And that and that modding community is still going and on. And they've embraced it. They, they've embraced the fact that Skyrim is moddable beyond all belief, and they've made it easy to mod it, even when on mm-hmm. even on the Switch, where you it's almost impossible to get in trouble for modding it on the Switch. Whereas normally wow. Nintendo would shut that shit down. There's almost a part of me that kind of wants to go through my my modded games uh, collection <laughs> and revisit this topic. Um, That'd be cool, actually. We could look at this game and what mods are available for it and like do a little talk about it and uh, kind of introduce people to the modding options out okay. there. I mean, when you consider that Before. the first modded game I played was the original Doom <laughs> back in the 90s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Killing Barney and Commander Keen was so satisfying. Commander Keen. Oh, man, I can't believe they're bringing that property back. I know that blew my mind. That was weird. I, I don't know how I feel about that. It's, what I really want them to bring back is uh, the Adventures of Captain Comic. Oh, jeez. <laughs> okay, let's 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 save a let's save a remakes uh, topic because this is just so so Definitely. damn broad. Um, but I, I love it. Great great topic, Kaylee. Thank you, thank you. I'm glad that ah, oh, it, it's it's so big. I'm glad that it uh, it, it was such a good discussion. Cool. Yeah. But yeah, let's move on to the next topic. I think. I, I think Tori can go first over there. Ooh, Tor- you called mm-hmm. me Tori. That's uh-huh. the way to get into my heart. How did you know? <laughs> Bailey and I have been chatting behind your back. Uh-huh. Wow. <laughs> you, can live, you can live right in my heart, next to the tapeworm. <laughs> Ooh, that, I think that's actually heartworm when it's in your heart. That's a problem. Will, will you be my heartworm, Jen Giggles? I will be your heartworm. Gross. Are we ready to take our relationship to the next level? <laughs> we are with your topic. Okay, here we go. So my topic this week is Steven Universe. No, no spoilers, I haven't seen season five yet. Fair. And this is going to be a tough one. Uh, it's going to be tough when we bring up an individual show right. or game or, or movie, mm-hmm. but possible. I, I want to sing the praises of the themes of the show oh, and yeah. kind of the overarching um uh yeah mostly just the themes that it that it sorry a little off pitch there <laughs> okay well there we go now it's ours copyright dibs <laughs> binding uh anyway so my son he had been talking to me about this show um and he brought it up in 2015 when the show was in season one or season two so the thing at the time is this was this was before I had come out. I was 
in a very conservative place. And he was trying to introduce this show to me and say, hey, it's, you know, got things dealing with gender and all this stuff. And I was in a very confused and bad kind of, no, I'm not ready for that or I don't know about that kind of place. Um, but then after uh, having the re- revelatory experience yep. um, that I've had and kind of not not being a dipshit, um, <laughs> basically, my son re-brought up the show to me and basically said, hey, um, this is a show that I really love. I would love if you watch this with me. And, and to be fair, there's been so many shows that my wife and I have taken him through. We introduced him to X-Files and... Uh, we watched through Avatar The Last Airbender together. Oh, God, we yes. watched, um, we even t- have taken him through some older kind of cheesy shows like Say by the Bell and Family Matters and stuff. Just like, hey, these are, these are some fun kind of goofball shows. And I took him through Boy Meets World, the whole series. Um, and he gave them a chance. At first, he was kind of resistant, like, oh, this is, this is Mama's show. Right. Like, <laughs> eh, it's not going to be as good as what we have today. And I started off thinking, oh, what the kids have now today is not as good as what we had when we were growing, you know, like that kind of <laughs> dumb stance. And so he he brought it up and I thought, you know, I'll sit down, I'll watch this with him. Uh, I've watched some other shows that he's been into, like some episodes of Adventure Time and episodes of, he's really into Uncle Grandpa, which is, which really I, weird. you know, that's, it's a, it's a weird show. It's not my favorite, but it's not, it's not bad. It's, it's got its moments. Um, so I was like, okay, this is. He's into it. It's fun. Steven Universe is probably like that. So it started out, and I'm like, okay, you know, the episodes kind of start just with one-offs, and it's cute. Mm-hmm. It's got basically the twelve-minute-long episodes. Yeah, the premise is is that there's yeah, a boy named Steven who um, this boy named Steven with a gem in his belly who lives with three individuals mm-hmm. who would be best described as his aunts. Well, his dad lives out of his van next to the car wash that his father owns. Couldn't have said it better myself. Huh? Thank you. Thank you huh? for uh, <laughs> getting that out there. And so the episodes were cute. They, they'd get in some trouble. There were some villains that they had to fight. Um, like, he's he's a kid, so he's not quite on the same level as his aunts that he lives with. But they're basically like superhero equivalents, um, this team known as the Crystal Gems. He's kind of under their tutelage, learning how to fight and how to, you know, adventure. But they're very protective of him. And so they get into into struggles, and it's kind of a coming-of-age type thing where Steven is growing up and maturing over the course of, of the episodes and um, finding that he isn't useless even though he's young. And I was on board with it, and the episodes were striking me as, hey, this is fun, let's keep going. Yeah. But over the course you know, of the first season, they really started subtly introducing this continuity mm-hmm. uh, underarching mm-hmm. storyline that started kind of popping up. And it's like, whoa, what, what was that? Are they going to address that fact later on? And it ends up ramping up to by the time that the second season starts, boy, was I invested. That, the oh, story God, yeah. starts getting leading more to the store to the overarching narrative you find out more about steven's past and uh his mom's past his dad you know and and the crystal gems and kind of what's been going on and so you see through the eyes of steven you learn as he learns about the history and the past and choices he makes because of what happened before he was even born stuff he has to make a he he makes choices Spoiler alert, he turns 14 in an episode. I mean, what 13 and 14-year-old kid should be dealing with the stuff that 
didn't put on this kid. And when you watch this show and the choices he has to make because of what others did before he was even born. Yeah. Over the course of the series, I, I fell in love with these characters. Um, I am currently caught up with where they're at. And they're coming out with a movie later this year. Um, and they introduce new characters. And they just are so good at writing amazing characters that you fall in love with. And each character is very unique and brings their own thing to the table. Uh, they have you know, struggles in relationship, but this show also introduces homosexual relationships yeah. and is very positive on them. You know, lesbian relationships. There was a lesbian wedding at some point. There was, and things revolving around gender. And I mean, the creator of the show, Rebecca Sugar, identifies as, as non-binary. Yep. I believe that they use they and she pronouns. And so you, you can see the, the things that they've experienced in their life resonating in this show, things that, that we, uh, you know, in the LGBTQ plus community can really resonate with as well. And things too, diversity is beautiful. Right. Uh, everyone should be able to be themselves. That is the main fight of the show. And that really is what the heroes are standing up for, is the right for us to be ourselves and to be loved because we're lovely just the way that we are. I'm so, I'm so happy to see a show like this on TV yeah. aimed towards kids, like my son's age, yeah. and to see him also fall in love with these characters. By the time that the series was over, it had become in my top 10 of all time. It's right on the teetering on the edge of surpassing Avatar The Last Airbender as the greatest cartoon that I've ever seen, which says a lot because I'm not one to quickly kind of dethrone. TOL is definitely... <laughs> yeah, but Steven Universe made me cry at least five times in the course of the show. And it's a cartoon that made me bawl my eyes out on a couple of occasions where we had to pause it and my wife and my son literally walked over to me and held my hands as I bawled my eyes out for 10 minutes because of how deeply resonating yeah. some of the themes are. And that is just, there are not really a lot of cartoons and shows that do that yeah. to me. It it deserves its due. I don't know if it's a show that you've seen, Kaylee, or are a fan of. Uh, I have seen it until, like, the last couple episodes I think I, I haven't seen yet. I, I, I'm not the biggest fan, um, but I do, I really appreciate the topics that they bring up that most other shows wouldn't even consider touching. Um, and... I, I think that's like so cool and really great that kind of they're pioneering this like progressive ideas and I, I don't want to say politics but like because it is you know a, a very a, a, like just a really good and pure uh, message through the show and um, it's okay to be you. and pushing to yeah and almost go beyond that in some ways and like specifically point to things like lesbian relationships and say like yeah that's great it's beautiful um yeah. which other shows wouldn't touch uh in definitely not in the same way how they write the characters are is like fantastic i like the backstories of all the gems are super cool and really interesting and nuanced yeah uh, yeah oh, which yeah. is really great and even most of the like enemies that are also pretty nuanced. Can I ask, what is it about the show that didn't quite resonate with you? 
Uh, just, like, some of the writing. Like, I got invested for parts of it, um, where it kind of got into that big overarching narrative. Um, but mm-hmm. then I found that it got hung up in the one-off episodes too much. Um, and some of the writing just didn't quite pay off on what was set up. Just, like, ended up going so long without answering a lot of questions that sure. is just kind of like, okay, well, I'm, I'm not getting the answers that I wanted, so why am I even watching at this point? Other than just having a cute show to have on in the background. Um, like, I, I think... Lapis is probably, like, one of my favorite characters at the beginning, um, and then I feel like her, the, kind of, her arc is a bit of a letdown. What I've seen of it is kind of a letdown, yeah. Sure. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. And so, it's also tough to see, like, what was one of my favorite characters, um, kind of fall by the wayside and not be taken care of the way that I wanted, especially with the nuance that the show gives to a lot of other things, um. Overall, it's a good show, and um, I like. I think it's worth watching, um, and definitely like if you just want a cute show to enjoy in the background, it's great. Um, though it, it it kind of does a weird back and forth where it will be like just a cute show with just like a single episode going on, and then you'll hit like three episodes in a row, and suddenly it's a roller coaster of emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love the roller coaster of emotions. <laughs> That's my favorite part of it. Um, but the the yeah, the rest of it is mostly just like cute show to have on in the background or to just you know enjoy when you just need some pureness. Um, it might be hard to <laughs> pinpoint those episodes when you need them rather than the ones that are gonna make you cry. Uh, but yeah. That, you um, know, yeah, that's great. Mm-hmm. All great points, mm-hmm. uh, Kaylee. Mm-hmm. I kept hearing about Steven Universe because mm-hmm. as a geek, geeky individual, it was in my feeds on Pinterest and on... And, I, oh, and I'm like, okay, I'll try it. Um, I was entertained. I got, I got invested in very specific character storylines. Um, as you said, some of them are letdowns. Others are amusing. I feel like there's some spots where they wound up more like a more like the the late '80s, early '90s cartoons um, than they did like they should. Like um, even though they're advancing and the characters are growing, that particular sto- that particular you know episode is totally stagnant. There was no no development mm-hmm. or change, which you know in a ten minute show, fine, no big deal. But sometimes it's kind of a rough spot when you're sitting there going so much happened in this episode and nothing changed at the end and you're not explaining why it didn't change although yeah i had some tears for a few episodes that were going Mm -hmm. on it wasn't anything like um victoria crying um or (laughs) you know an apathy situation i like the show i'm i want to finish it i want to know what the ending of the story is and the show runs for like 15 like, what, 13 seasons. W- once I saw Avatar The Last Airbender, I realized that I was shortchanged. I was treated as if I didn't understand the world. And as though those cartoons were entertaining and fun, you know, I needed something more. I should have been given something more when I was a kid. And I... 
I found it. You know, Avatar: The Last Airbender, Korra. You find you know the the um, the Clone Wars TV show. You know the the 2005 oh, yes. Turtles um, <laughs> ran for eight seasons, and April and Casey get married in the show. The, these things that were we all wanted to experience had been missed, been forgotten, mm. or just said, yeah. "Oh, they're kids. They don't ki- they don't matter. It doesn't. Nobody cares." Th- th- that's why I am I'm in love with a lot of the modern cartoons. It's wh- why I fell in love with anime. I mean, there's stories. There's actual story. When the first time I saw my first anime was in '99, before I went to before just before I left to college, when Escaflone, the Vision of Escaflone, the original series, came out on on Fox, and they ran only about half the show and then canceled it because Four Kids Entertainment said, "Yeah, having a guy get murdered on screen by being squished through, with a like liquid ribbon metal thing, that's not cool." But I'm sitting there going. <laughs> Oh my God! Where's the rest of this story going? This is fascinating. I'm a 17-year-old kid at the time, and that that young girls are trying to say, "Hey, I want to, you know, I, I want to know more. Tell me more. Give me this story." Mm-hmm. I'd been starved for true stories. I mean, gosh, I got mm-hmm. sick in the 80s at one point, um, and had to stay home, and I wound up watching Days of Our Lives instead of PBS Kids because. It was a story, even if it was crappy. Yeah. I think you touch on something really cool, and that is, like, the respect uh, for the audience within, especially cartoons, towards younger people, um, where, like, a lot of cartoons, they just, like, do the bare basics and call it a day, and it's really... But the those aren't the cartoons that last, like, and that make an impact. It's the ones that are willing to kind of how show something actually like deep and interesting to especially kids who don't have that in in their media because there's most companies not play it safe. But things like um, Full Metal Alchemist, oh god, like yeah. is a great example of something that like it, it's a wide age range, but <laughs> like definitely like. Part, part of that age range is a kid's above a certain age for sure, but like within within cartoon range. But it tackles some like deep topics, and yeah. that's what makes it really compelling. And I think it's a important part of what makes a cartoon good. And being able to have like that authentic, respectful like discussion, o- almost like philosophy, right. and that tied into it because that. I think, it, like, philosophy is interesting to everyone, and it's... Not everyone is aware that they're speaking philosophy or talking about it, mm-hmm. but that's so much of what plays into stories and narratives, um, and to have a respectful and interesting uh, philosophy discussed in a narrative in that, right. in, in the stories like you're talking about, is key to having a cartoon that actually has an impact and that people really like. Often yeah. that's neglected in shows for younger people uh which is really don't get me wrong like a two or three year old the kind of philosophy you're Mm -hmm. giving them in something like you know um Mm -hmm. you know sesame street or um word world or something on pbs kids here in the u.s yeah these are great things that they should be exploring and talking about and looking at you know but once Mm -hmm. you start getting like five or six year olds they're going to need a little bit of a story, something a bit more 
mm-hmm. beyond than um, a single episode. I mean, I have a, I've got a manga that's for children. My youngest is mm-hmm. diving headfirst into it. I mean, went through, you know, I mean, and we're not talking like the Legend of Zelda mangas, which both my kids have already completed. Um, my eight-year-old is plowing mm-hmm. through um, this uh, tween manga called uh, uh, King of Bandits Jing. I mean, there's set 14 volumes across two series, and she's already into, uh, I think, volume nine. It's crazy. Wow. It's so cool how um, kids can just get so gripped into overarching stories or stories that have that kind of yeah. continuity. Like, my, my son's really into the Percy Jackson books, and he just he pl- has just plowed through the, the whole series as much as he could do. And, he, you know, he regularly goes to the library and just power reads through um stories i i feel like yeah the this is one area with modern children shows that i can say in all honesty they have it better in a lot of ways than we did and i think that that can go either way you know certain things that have progressed and certain things have declined but yeah the the depth of children's programming there's really a lot of it out there and i appreciate that um, and I, I'm happy to be a fan of it being, you know, 34 years old now yeah. as well. Like I, 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 these things are not, I'm not too good for it. I'm not too old for it. If it's a good story with a, with a deep narrative, um, or it's just, or it's a comedy that that's really funny. Um, I'm down. And I think it was, it was you, Jen, that remembered Pirates of Dark Water oh God, when yes. I brought that up. And yeah, that was that was a show with continuity when I was a kid and it was like, whoa, yeah. I didn't know how desperate I was for that. And, and looking back at that show, it's not deep, it's but not. it had continuity. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, it's cheesy and not the best, but it, it, it has a spot in my heart. And I was so bummed when it got canceled because I wanted to see the story end. But when I was about six or seven years old, I started getting really into comic books. And when I started learning about, you know, in the early 90s, it was the saga of Wolverine and the X-Men and yep. and Wolverine finding his memories. And I soaked up that story so much and I retained so much of the, of the information. And some of it, there was some violence and romance and character progression and depth. And I was like seven, eight years old collecting these comics and just trying to get pieces of the puzzle. Oh, I got issue 80. Oh, and I got issue 83 and trying to piece together, well, what happened in 81 and 82? Okay, well, I think I'm kind of on board with where this is going. And because I didn't get every issue, I didn't have enough allowance. I didn't, you know, my parents aren't that keen on comics. (laughs) Well, it was just, it was just like, here, here's one, you know, we're at the store. Can I get this one? Yeah. You know, and and I'd pick out an issue and then I'd pick out a different issue, you know, And, and, and I couldn't always get them all sequentially, but I would fill in the gaps and kind of piece together things. And I got the comic cards and I was super, and I still am super into comic books, but, but when I was a kid, that was the medium that really gave me that depth. And I think, I think the X-Men cartoon and I think Batman, the animated series were actually probably the, the progenitors of some of this, these deeper yeah. Um, oh, yeah. cartoons more, more than any other. And I'm a huge fan. I, I want to make this clear for the record. I'm a huge fan of, of, of G.I. Joe and Turtles and a lot of the 80s Great cartoons. Shows. They're they fun. F- they're so, they're so yeah. fun. I love them. Um, but I think we are at a point where we're finally taking children more seriously and their ability to, to process emotion and you know think intellectually or philosophically 
to a degree. They're not just mindless idiots. <laughs> like <laughs> kids have the ability to be gripped by these things and positively affected by these things, oh, to yes. not be sheltered, to not be hidden from the realities of the human condition or the human state of state of mind. Um, of course, for each parent out there, a guardian, it, it will be up to you to know your kids. And, you know, this isn't like, again, not an advice podcast or we're not telling you let your kids watch these things or don't let your kids watch these things. That's for you, your decision to make on an individual basis. But it is nice that those things are available for guardians and parents to be able to allow their children to watch and even watch with them and have those mm-hmm. discussions. My son and I have had have had deep and lengthy conversations about a lot of the shows that we've watched together and I've even gotten to to, as he's gotten older we've had conversations about his favorite characters and why and those are my favorite moments that we've had together when I get to hear his heart and his perspective and his opinions shaped because those are the conversations I have with my chosen friends (laughs) and those are the times when my son and I bond uh, not just as parent and child, but also as friends. So, and wow. Steven Universe is one of those yeah. shows. So, that's that, that beautiful. Great. Yeah. Should we move to yeah. to Jen's topic? Yeah. 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 Just before we do that, I do have one a cartoon recommendation. If yes. you haven't seen it, uh, Gravity Falls is amazing. It's really good. I just started um, watching yeah, that. Yeah. Anyways, hi- highly recommend. It's hilarious. And Thank you, Kaylee. That's another um, mm-hmm. one that my son uh, and some of my friends even have. Mm-hmm. I've watched a few mm-hmm. episodes yeah. and love it, but I I need to dive deeper. Cool. So yeah, um, mine, as I said, collectibles. Collectibles. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll get to, I'll get to the geeky side, you know the the. But you know, I mean, people have collected things for forever. You know, you you find you find uh, burials from from uh, Neanderthals, and there's a pile of shiny rocks with them. You go and you dig up a pharaoh. What do you find? A pile of shiny coins and jewelry with them. Um, so there's nothing new to this mentality. It's, it's perfectly human to collect things. Now, humans collect strange things. As a general rule, shiny, like the spoons on my wall. Those are shiny, generally considered collectible, because people look at them and go, hey, it might be a precious metal. We all know it's not. They're made out of stainless steel or tin, but who cares? The idea is they're shiny. So... Why do we collect cards and plastic figurines? I'm all down for my amiibos. I've got like five Zelda amiibos. You know, and I want the other like 10, 12 of them that are out there. Forget the game portion where I can affect a game with them. I just want the stuff. You know, my kids have inherited and um, from, from my sister-in-law and gained um, through purchases from my wife and I well over a th- probably close probably about a thousand Pokemon cards. And they both want more. They just want to collect them. You know, it, it's that gotta catch them all mentality that I wanted to talk about. I get that we find, you know, it's like, oh, this is a thing I want to collect. And I get the shiny and it's it's fancy or looks nice. But we, we seem to attach to specific things, things that are oddly not something that's really actually in the end very valuable, but we attach a lot of value and meaning to it ourselves, just 
you know, like hmm. my amiibos. Yeah. I love Zelda. I don't know why I have loved The Legend of Zelda since I first played the original game back in 89. And, and then I got Link to the Past, and that was it. That was my favorite video game. And I have played through that particular video game, oh god, probably 30 times. Obviously, I love Zelda. But what was it that triggered me to love Zelda? What are your thoughts on this? I have some ideas. Um... So the the first, I think, most kind of basic level is there is a supply and demand. I like I have magic cards, and there's very much a, like wanting to get cards that are valuable or that are effective in play. And there's more people want them, and so it's more difficult to get those, uh, which is kind of part of the fun, I guess. But there's also this like sociological collective understanding that these pieces of paper have values similar to how like paper money has value um and i think there's there's something there about like these cards hold meaning more than just the material that they're on but then i think the kind of cream layer at the top that's really juicy is that we attach like an emotional connection to these characters and things that are on cards um and figurines and that because they're more like they're a representation of these characters that we love and are connected to and so having something that reminds us of just how awesome they are or how how we connect to this this character i think is probably the most powerful part of it um and why like why like sometimes like i i have some pokemon cards and i just like set yeah. them up where just where i can see them because <laughs> i'm like yeah the, these are cool and i love my shiny charizard well, yeah i love my shiny gyarados what can i say <laughs> i agree with with both of you for sure i think the the value is in the eyes or the heart of the beholder, right? Mm -hmm. But that's just true across the board. You know, we could run a million miles mm -hmm. with anything that a person places uh, value on. Psychologically, how, you know, whether something is, you know, healthy or unhealthy or, or whatever, which is for each person to decide and, mm -hmm. you know, for professionals and stuff like that. But I, and, and really for me, I think it's, I think it comes to, to identity. I think it comes to mm. a, an mm. expression of identity, mm. much in the same way that fashion is. Of course, by law, we are required to to cover up when we leave our homes and go into public. Clothing is a is a necessity in wintertime. Yeah. Definitely a necessity, right? Especially up here. <laughs> so it's functional, but it also we choose the colors and the fabrics and styles. Of, of clothing we addition additionally to that we adorn our our bodies from time to time with accessories um you know whether it be a necklace or a bracelet or a ring these things are not necessities and not required by law but we we wear them as and we get to express ourselves in the way that we adorn ourselves it says something about us and and the dresses and necklaces and, and things that, for me specifically, I choose to wear the things that I love to wherever I want to, to wear them to. And it makes me feel wonderful to be able to, I, I feel more me 
when I do that mm -hmm. and I feel like I'm able to kind of share with the world more of who I am and that that can feel validating that can feel liberating and those are feelings that that for me re resonate very positively mm -hmm. so when it comes mm -hmm. to collectibles you know I collect clothes I collect you know <laughs> Uh, uh, accessories and, and, and jewelry or shoes, you know, but when we're talking about action figures and comic books and posters and pictures that we put in frames, paintings, mm -hmm. those are ways that all of us were able to adorn our home or our vehicles. If, if you have, you know, stickers or whatever you have, unlike clothing, we don't need to change them out, you know, every single day, you know, right? it's something that that is up there and for me you know i have two paintings and and some posters in my office that's kind of a place where i can walk into and be like this is a huge part of me you know in regards to this mm -hmm. podcast of pop culture and the like you know just the things that i love beyond just relationships so i have mm -hmm. a painting of of bell from beauty and the beast i have a painting of cloud from final fantasy 7 i have and it's and that that's not even my favorite Final Fantasy. He's a cool character though, um, and right. I love video games. Um, I've got a poster of Razor Ramon, the wrestler. I have a poster of the death of Superman and the Justice League carrying his coffin that I've had since I was about seven or eight years old. So that when that came and, out, and yeah, I got it from the graphic novel. And um, and then I also have uh, some Star Trek, like a collage of, of photos. Yeah. Um, and I mean, those are all very nerdy things. I've got a collection of video games. I got a collection of CDs still um, because I love looking at the liner notes. I love looking at the artwork from the albums and being able to yeah. hold on to something tangible. Yep. And when I have those things set up around my house and I take a look at them. Uh, it makes me happy in the same way that when I look back and take a look at my my social media page, my Instagram, I look at my feed at, uh, over the past few months and I'm like, wow, this is me. And I'm and it makes me so happy to right? see it, it reminds me of my own existence and the things that I've made connections with. It, it resonates with me and, and knowing that other people can can see that and respond to it is very validating to me mm -hmm. and being able to reminisce about those moments if i when i look at my old action figures or i i, I posted a video of, of me opening up my uh, ninja turtles and batman figures oh, and Lord. stuff you opened them up oh yeah absolutely um my grandma collected mcdonald's toys when i was growing up oh, and yeah. had all 101 dalmatians and oh. all the toys um she she offered me five dollars for a bugs bunny sticker that i had when i was like six years old and because she offered me five dollars i all of a sudden thought that it was probably more valuable and said no so i kept that sticker and probably ended up throwing it away or something at some point but went on your um, shirt and came off the next morning yeah absolutely i wish i had the five bucks mm-hmm so I had one thing to add to the collectibles uh, discussion. Yeah. I think it all comes back to sort of an expression of self through art. Mm -hmm. um, even like through having art that is ours, that like piece of our identity or a way of showing our identity and our love for something. And I think something that's key to that is that action figures, for example, like they don't need to be representation or they don't even necessarily need to be valuable visibly as art like 
be interesting to look at as art, but rather connect to the characters and the character writing of stories that mm-hmm. is art in itself. And I think that's... like that's where cards like Pokemon cards uh, kind of do really well, because when I look at my shiny Gyarados, I think back to that episode on the, the ferry, I think it was, or cruise ship. Um, yeah. Back in, like, they watched forever ago, yeah. and it's like... Kind of pull, pulls you back to that to that story yeah. and to that um, artistic cartoon story, um, whatever it may be that is important to right. us. And uh, it's nostalgia. Yeah, yeah, a way of um, reminding ourselves and yeah. memorializing. I mean, that, I, 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 is well, that a word? So, yeah, yeah. I, I think I think there's another aspect because you did bring up the thing at the end, Jen, where you mentioned how you fell in love with Zelda. Yeah. And a lot of that game actually ties into collecting things or or obtaining things. Always has. And there is, there's that other sense of, this is an aspect, at least I know, I'm just going to speak from my own personal experience, where there is that balance to find because this can be the, I think the first aspect that we talked about with collecting is very healthy with, you know, expression and and, uh, that feeling of liberation and all that. I think that for me personally, uh, again, not an advice podcast, but uh, I know that that the finding balance because it feels good to obtain things. Yes. There is a good feeling of I got a new thing. I did something that got me this. And that and Zelda and many other games provide that that feeling. Yeah. The, the feeling of exploration. That feeling can be much more fleeting and need to be replaced, yep. which is where for me, it's gotten into some sometimes in my life where that habit could form in an unhealthy way, yep. you know, and, and sometimes the, the obtaining new things could replace time and money away from necessities or things that, you know, ha- have had more sustainable joy. So uh, you, you mentioned identity and, and you're so, right. Uh, you know, I've got, when, when you see somebody out there wearing a, you know, for me, another Legend of Zelda shirt. Band, band t-shirts are right huge. Band, the right band t-shirt, the mm-hmm. ones you like. And you're like, hey, you have an instant connection. So you, you do connect with people quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, you can stop, you know, talk and have fun. I mean, my wife and I, Chris, when I were out, um, Having we're out doing a Pokemon walk today for for our community day, ran into a couple of other, uh, another guy and we just had a conversation for about fifteen minutes with him about playing the game because we instantly have that in common, you know. And I've got sitting next to me, quite literally in my hands, a collection of kitschy bisexual pride buttons. You know, I can't help myself. I love kitschy shit. I admit it. I own it openly. You know, it, it's a uh, just by having that that flag available to you, and to see it, people automatically know who, you know that you, you can find your tribe, that group of people, somebody you can connect with, and that's kind of kind of how it goes. And that, that's where I wanted to talk about um, Matt Coville, who, if you haven't, if you don't know, he's um, he does a lot of podcasting and um, videos on YouTube regarding Dungeons and Dragons. He's obsessed with it. Has been since uh, since the eight, early 80s when he was young, so about the same age as um he got into it right around the early age the early time of it, you know. He was talking about a different game. Um he was talking about a collectible card game called Legend of the Five Rings. Now the card game is over. Uh that has ended with the current ownership, 
But the original ownership team back in the 90s when it first came out uh, created what Matt called the greatest story ever told. And the reason he says that is that although there was um, like plot and story, like they had professional writers come in and write out the results of a tournament as a story. We're talking, you know, 10,000 word short stories here kind of thing. The name of the character on that card he played is the character in the story. And so there was this massive story that they built and they wrote. And the owners of the, the original creators said, oh, we're going to end it after a certain period. Didn't happen. <laughs> surprise, surprise. It's making too much money. We're going to keep it going. Um, but that original story, the people who played that original story, they talk about how each of these short stories came to be. And they were the piece of flash, flash fiction for this random meeting that happened in front of one of the story, one of the story creators, the, you know, the people in charge and how these two sat down, these two people that randomly met and they, you know, somebody saw it and they were just playing a game for fun and they made it one of the stories. And so this, this mythos built around the actual story that was built around the game. That mythos is, I think, where everything is, where we're all talking about. And that's kind of where I wanted to get to is you both you both hit upon it with the concept of identity. I met so-and-so. They made this flag or they did X, Y, Z. I ran into, you know, so-and-so at, at this conference. And, and now, you know, we hung out for a while and it's great. So all of this stuff that we these these outside events that influence our identity and influence our interactions with people elsewhere. So it's that third ring. Or it might be the core. It's hard to say when you're looking at it, um, even from the, you know, from the few, you know, looking back at it, saying which way it happened that created what. But what you're looking at is all of this stuff that influences this myth, these other stories, these third-party events that affect this narrative we have, which affects this thing we all love, that, I think, is where we all live, despite the fact that, you know, I can tell you, you know, uh, as I said, I have a collection of spoons on my wall. Most of them aren't mine. I got them from my grandmother. Um, she got them from friends who gave them to her. There's a few spoons Aww. in there. Yeah, like people would travel somewhere and give, then bring home a spoon for her. I have only a couple of spoons of hers that I know the story of. One of them um, was a spoon. Somebody went to Holland. Um, so they went to the Netherlands. They brought back a spoon. Serving, it's bigger than a serving spoon would be. Um, and it has on top of it a functional windmill um, piece. It doesn't actually move when you blow on it, but it spins. And that was given to my great uncle, my grandmother's brother, because he had built a windmill or his in, in the town where he lived. Um, he died when I was very young, and that spoon went to my grandmother. And then when my grandmother moved out of her house um, this last year, I got the spoon. And that mythos, that, that thing saying, hey, this is, this is me, this is who I come from, kind of what I wanted to mention, you know, kind of why we, we had this conversation. I know I'm not always as geeky about it and, and entertaining as, <laughs> as you guys can be on some of the other stuff, but... I think that's an important thing to talk about because you and I, Victoria, we both enjoy Steven Universe. I'd consider myself a fan. I could sit and talk with people for it for a while. Kaylee, didn't seem like you uh, quite were, were quite as into it, but you could probably have a conversation. Where yeah. we're at in the fandom, this, this whole thing that we're doing right here is that story I just mm -hmm. told. 
about that spoon. Relatability, mm-hmm. that relation. Relatability, mm-hmm. connection to mm-hmm. things. Because, right. you know, yeah. and, and that's what makes us geeks. Mm-hmm. We have a connection yeah. to things. And we take that connection and find others with this, with a similar connection. And then we connect with that person. Yeah. So I have an interesting um, connection kind of to this, uh, which is I find being around the Magic the Gathering community a bit, mm-hmm. I find it's it's really fascinating to see how people connect through having a game in common. Yeah. Um, and having, like, this instant something to talk about. Especially in, like, the Magic the Gathering community is generally not the most, like, <laughs> socially hip right? uh, crowd. I've known a few people <laughs> that, that play what Magic. Are you talking, yeah. What are you talking about? Yeah. Hey, 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 they know they know all about tapping. That's hip, right? Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. always that's yeah. always in the know. <laughs> and, uh, you know. Hey, no table talk. There's a nice uh, color variety. And uh, <laughs> some of the cards are shiny. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, hey, 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 hey. It, it's a gateway into Lord of the Rings, and and those movies are pretty popular. So I think yeah. I can make a case. So case case closed. Magic, yeah. you know, MTG yeah. players are the coolest kids on the playground, <laughs> from what I hear. Yeah. True. I, speaking as Magic the Gathering player, we are the coolest people ever. Um, You're the coolest, Kaylee. Thank you. Teach me, teach me your yes. ways. Don't worry, I will teach you magic, and then you will be as hip as a, all oh, the I, other players. I, I used to sell, I used to sell um, packs of the cards in my video game store, oh, and I, uh, I, nice. I, I played it during the Mirrodin era, um, mm-hmm. uh, and cool. and the introduction of Seventh Edition. But yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the the point I wanted to make to take this ball and run with it out into the parking lot and across the street um, is that like Magic the Gathering gives people a cool like way of talking to each other that is very like straightforward like really easy to like just like you just bring up a card talk about that card what decks it fits in and it makes conversation super easy I find mm-hmm. um, sometimes it's not the most engaging conversation because people also just like talk decks back and forth um, about like oh this is my deck oh this is my deck oh this is my deck um, but it gives sort of a jumping yep. off point for conversation that I find really fascinating and makes it really easy to just like connect people but I also find that it almost provides like a crutch that then people rely on for too long um, when meeting new people that play magic, like get sucked into this talking just about like comparing decks or comparing cards without getting into like a deeper conversation about it. I'm, I'm really big on like reaching deeper conversation um, <laughs> when talking. Uh, and so I, I find it interesting that like it can provide a really good jumping off point, but it can also kind of limit where you go from there. Um, and anyways, I, I just find it a really interesting like situation where it gives us this verbiage, this commonality uh, that is really easy to talk and begin a, begin a conversation with. I think that that um, commonality is a wonderful way for us to find friendship, uh, relationship, 
Um, it, yeah. it can provide such an easy in and connection. But I also, for it, for for myself, and this is actually a recommendation I would I would actually make to people, is that we don't get stuck too heavy in relying on our on our um, nuanced commonalities and. Um, that we keep in mind the fact that I, I know this is going to come off so cheesy, but it is so true that we are, <laughs> we all have the in common the fact that we're human, and and I think when we as a society rely too heavily on only commonality, we can become exclu- exclusionary. And yes. I, I want to make sure that for me, uh, and and definitely for the community that might be cultivated around this podcast, that we are very inclusive, even when we don't necessarily relate on our likes or dislikes of media or pop culture. Um, oh, yeah. It's a wonderful thing when we can embrace each other in the ta- in the beautiful tapestry of our diversity even down to the nuances. I love, I love, love, love um, sharing things in common with my wife, introducing new things to, to my family and friends and, and making new friends out of bonding over uh, shared experiences. But I also absolutely love l- listening to someone who is really deeply into sports, which I am not deeply into sports, but I love listening and, and asking them questions about what it is that they love about it, learning about something that others love that I might not be that into, and being able to learn from them and grow in my in my diversity and my uh, ability to accept and come to an understanding of how maybe we aren't really so different in our in our likes and dislikes um, when it comes down to yeah. that. Anyway, sorry that that was maybe the most cheesy thing I ever said, but uh, that's good. Convincing somebody who loves soccer or football that it's just as valid and it's basically the same thing to love watching Call of Duty tournaments or whatever people are having nowadays. <laughs> no, I'm not that yeah. out of it. I know no, there aren't too many COD tournaments that make you money. I just am brain farting on the name of the game. Once you convince them that it's the same thing, they're sitting there going, oh... Okay, so as I study these stats to play fantasy football, you're out there looking at strategy and how they're doing things. It makes so much more sense to them once they understand it's the same thing. As James Rolfe put it uh, at the end of one of his videos, you know, maybe in, in some way, deep down, we're all nerds. <laughs> oh, God, we are. <laughs> we are all nerds. <laughs> uh, oh, do you want to say uh, th- this was we, we happen to be trans? Or No, no, let, let, me, let me do it in Macho Man. Let me see if I can do it. Go for it. We happen to be trans. A parasite podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Fantastic.